Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 2. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 2. We're going through the Gospel record of Luke together and we're still at the beginning part. Seeing Jesus Christ as a babe this morning as he was taken to Jerusalem and observing the ceremonies. But once again, God was not allowing his son to go unnoticed and had two people prepared to give messages to the crowd of people that had gathered to explain who this Christ child was. Well, as the time of life went on, the Christ child grew. And in Luke chapter 2, we get a snapshot of the life of Jesus Christ inside of his teenage years and get a glimpse from his life also how we are to have an example of raising youth for the Lord. If you don't mind, let's kind of dive into this. In the gospel record of Luke chapter number 2, the gospel record of Luke chapter number 2, and let's start in verse number 39. The gospel record of Luke chapter 2 in verse number 39. And when they had performed all those things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into the Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned and the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been with in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance and when they found him not they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him and it came to pass that after three days they had found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors both hearing them and asking questions and all that heard him were astonished at his anders at his understanding and answers and when they saw him they were amazed and his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou de uh, thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist not <coughs> ye, <coughs> wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept these thing, sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter 2? The gospel record of Luke chapter 2 and verse number 40, notice the phrase in verse number 40, the child grew. The child grew. And with this, we get a snapshot of the teenage years of Jesus Christ and his growing up with his family. But with it, we can also learn quite a bit about raising children. And so if you don't mind, perhaps we'd like to subtitle it and kind of give the idea, the thrust of the message about principles of raising children to serve the Lord. Principles of raising children to serve the Lord the Lord. And with this, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would just give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to have understanding with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant us some understanding, some discernment, some wisdom from this book that we may apply it to raising children, that we may apply it to the things that we are learning and that we are trying to get accomplished here and in our own lives and our own family. 
Lord, this is something as we come to you, I'm just begging for your Holy Spirit. That you would fill me with your Spirit. That you would do this message. That it wouldn't be out of my head. wouldn't be out of my intellect. It wouldn't be out of my study. It would be out of what you would give us to do. And that you would set things in order. Let it be understandable. And let it be clear that when you speak to the folks that it came from you. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, can you imagine trying to raise the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember that this is not just a human child. This is God robed in flesh. And not only is he God robed in flesh, but he is the sinless child of God. That means that there was no child like this. He was sinless in all things. It wasn't that, as some people teach, that he lived a regular life as a youth and as a, as a young man and as a child. And then when he became an adult, all of a sudden he became sinless. No, he was sinless his entire life. He was sinless when he was a baby. He was a sinless when he was a toddler. He was a sinless when he was a teenager. He was the sinless son of God. But even though he was sinless, there are still some principles we could learn from his life that we could apply to raising youth, to raising up children to serve the Lord. As we examine the passage, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention here is the summary of Jesus' childhood. The summary of of Jesus's childhood. Notice with me in verse number 39 again. And when they had performed all things according to the law, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now which, watch what happens here. As Mary and Joseph comes back, they go to Nazareth. Here the Bible summarizes Jesus' life as a child in verse number 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. In this one verse, there are four things that are mentioned here that are actually pretty key in summarizing the life of Jesus Christ. That first of all, he grew. And like children do. This is natural growth. And you expect them to grow. You expect them to continue to um, grow like weeds. That's part of their thing. They grow up. But notice something else. And the child grew and... Wax strong in the spirit. This wax strong in the spirit is carrying the idea that he learned to depend and trust on God's spirit. Now, let's pause. We have here an interesting dynamic here. We know that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and that the Holy Spirit is God. But at the same time, throughout the gospel records, especially as we turn to the next chapter, chapter number four, or uh, as we look to chapter four up in the future, you're going to see that Jesus Christ, even though he was God robed in flesh, was dependent upon the Spirit. Now, like a lot of things, depending on the spirit doesn't come from book learning. It comes from experience. It comes from doing it. And so when it says that he waxed strong in the spirit, that means that even as a young teenager, as a child, he had to learn to die to self, die to what he desired, and to be trusting, depending on on the Spirit. Did you know that teenagers can be filled with the Spirit? Teenagers can be used of God. The teenagers can learn to die to self. That there's some idea out there that dying to self comes as you become a more mature Christian and you have to be an older person to do so. Teenagers can learn to die to self. They can learn to trust and depend on God for themselves. Notice as it goes on. It says that he was filled with wisdom. Do you know a teenager? I know that it doesn't sound natural, doesn't sound right, but a teenager can be filled with wisdom. They can learn to trust in God. They can learn to apply wisdom. They can learn to live in wisdom. We're going to speak more about the, all of these things in detail in just a moment. This is a summary statement. But he waxed strong in the spirit. He lived and was filled with wisdom. Not just a little bit of wisdom. He was filled with wisdom. But notice this. And the grace of God was upon him. Did you know that young children and teenagers 
can have the grace of God upon their lives. Having the hand of God upon their lives. Now that's what we're interested in. As we're doing the study of Jesus's life, we understand we could just take the narrative portion and we could say, well, this is what happened to Jesus historically. And we will. But we cannot miss this opportunity of learning from the life of Jesus Christ what we can do in raising young people to serve the Lord. So with this summary statement in mind, let's kind of see some of the details now. We see the principles found in Jesus' childhood growth. Here are the principles found in Jesus' childhood growth. Now, how was it that Jesus, who by the way is an example of all men and children, was able to grow in the Lord? That's what it spoke about, that the child grew and he had the grace of God upon it. How was it that he was able to grow upon the Lord? Well, the Bible gives us an example of an incident that occurred when Jesus was about 12 years old to illustrate these principles in his life. So if you don't mind, as we go through this narrative, we're also going to pull out some principles that we find. Here's the first principle. Youth need to learn to spend time with his family. Youth need to learn to spend time with his family. Verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now we'll pause here and say, well, this is their normal event. However, it was an event that was a big family event. They all gathered together and they made this trip to Jerusalem. Remember, they lived three countries away. You had Galilee, you had Samaria, and you have Judea. And and they traveled together. And it's also implied that there were other things they did together. That they had family activities. And by the way, youth need to be taught to hang out with their parents. They need to be taught to spend time with their parents. By the way, for a lot of youth, that's not natural. They have to be taught to work at it. Youth would rather not be seen with their old fogies or maybe they're at the idea with their parents embarrass them. But you understand they need to be taught and encouraged and sometimes made to spend time with the family. I understand the modern psychologist and witch doctors may not necessarily agree, but you understand we're following what the Bible says. And God has given us a family for a reason. There's all kinds of benefits to being with a family. And we're going to see some of them coming up. But the family unit is something that's breaking apart in America. And that so many times people don't spend time with their kids. An awful statistic says that the average in-home father only spends eight minutes a day with their child. That's it. Eight minutes a day of face-to-face -face time. Talking with them. Interacting with them. That's not a lot. And we're wondering why things fall apart and why we don't have the influences. You know, whoever spends more time with your kid is the one who's going to influence them in their life. The Eddie Haskell or the, the school guy influencing your kid is probably not going to have the answers you want your child to learn. They're going to have to learn to trust in you. And that comes when spending time with the child. And being taught that it's alright to go do something with mom and dad. It's alright to go have a family event. And the world will not collapse. It will be alright if you spend some time with the family. That's a principle we understand. Now, as they went down to the temple. Notice with me in verse number uh, 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, so they went down during the Passover time. They went to, um, to temple together, the house of God together. By the way, that should be something that should be together. Going to church together. Going to the house of God together. So they go down to Jerusalem and they spend some time. It's uh, usually a... a uh, an affair where it's several days long. And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned. Now with it, it's not just like Mary and Joseph got in the car and just forgot to pack Jesus. What happened is that a lot of people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, traveled together from Nazareth and had come down together. And so there were family and there were friends and there were cousins and there was a big lot of them. Put with this that Jesus was the perfect child, 
Of course Jesus is going to be with us. He's going to be where he's supposed to be. It's one of those things that they had learned to trust him that they weren't worried about where he was at. He, of course, is going to be with us. So, when they had fulfilled the days, they returned, and the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. But they supposing him to be in the company. They figured that he was with them somewhere. Jesus has never done wrong before. He's never talked back. He's always where he's supposed to be. So of course he's with the family. Maybe he's with um, John over there. Maybe he's with them over there. Maybe he's with someone else. And so after a while they said, well, we haven't seen him. And so they start asking everyone else. Hey, have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen him at all. Hey, have you seen Jesus? No, no, I haven't seen him. Hey, I, I heard that he was with, a, with your kid. No, well, he was, but he, we haven't seen him in a while. So they looked around. Can you imagine the panic that you have? Not only did you lose your kid, but you lost God's kid. That's a big deal. Where'd he go? And so they go back and they sought him among their kinfolk and their acquaintance, that big party that they had traveled with. And now they have to go back and find him. Verse 45. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. We're going to talk to verse 46 in detail. But it took three days before they found him. I heard some preacher give a principle that one day walking away from the Lord, it usually takes about three days to get back. You take one day off from reading your Bible, it takes about three days to get back into it. You take about a day from not praying, it takes a little bit of time to get back. Isn't that a truth? Maybe not the direct three to one proportion. But if you take time away from reading your Bible, isn't it harder to get back into it? If you take some time from praying, isn't it harder to get back into it? If you take some time from being faithful to church, isn't it hard to get back into it? There's a principle here that we have that once you walk away from the Lord, it takes time to get back into that habit. Three days it took them to find Jesus when he had been missing just one. They're in Jerusalem looking back in their room. They're looking back trying to find out if he's here or there. Finally, they find him in verse number 46, which brings us to a second principle. Youth should be sitting, hearing, and asking questions. Youth should be sitting, hearing, and answering are asking questions. Notice in verse 46. And it came to pass after three days. They Mary and Joseph found him Jesus in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. Both hearing them and asking questions. All of this has to deal with the principle of learning. Now at this time. When they were sitting with them, they were sitting here in the midst of the doctors. These are not medical physicians. These are actually people who have given their entire life to studying the Word of God. And so here's this 12-year-old that's sitting in the midst of these doctors. These people had given their life to studying God's Word. And he, the 12-year-old Jesus, is sitting. And he's hearing them. And he's asking them questions and they're amazed. Now, interesting enough, it's at this time that the most influential and famous Hebrew scholar is there by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel in all of history and the Bible is touted as the most studied Hebrew professor there had ever existed of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. By the way, his star pupil at this time was a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus is also there. And it is my belief that Gamaliel would say, Hey Saul, you need to come hear this guy. And I believe that Saul of Tarsus is there also sitting and hearing all of what's it. That's neither here nor there. Gamaliel is not up for debate. He's there. So Gamaliel, the greatest Bible teacher is there. And he's talking with Jesus. And Jesus is sitting with him. He's listening to Gamaliel and asking questions at this time. Now we understand that the best type of learning comes from asking questions and listening. That youth should be sitting, hearing, and asking. This is part of learning. Now what do we mean by this? Let's define our terms. The questions that are being asked are not to stump the preacher. I've taught high school. I understand that line of questioning. 
That's not what he's doing here. These are natural questions that come from hearing someone speak. Something that we've lost in our country. The ability to listen to someone and to ask logical questions. This idea of sitting carries the idea that it is a normal conversation. Not I'm going to convince you by yelling and punching you in the face. So he had learned as a young man with respect to sit, to listen, and to ask questions. All this does is prompt someone the ability to learn how to think. This idea of asking questions and answering questions is touted from thousands of years the best course of learning. The best way of learning is to be engaged in a conversation. We know that they're not Christians, but Plato and Socrates were very famous Greek historians. And as Socrates had wrote about Plato's writings, Plato didn't write himself, Socrates did. But as Socrates wrote, the book that he wrote was his conversations where he asked Plato questions and Plato answered them. And it is touted as one of the best educational books in secular history with that example of learning how to ask questions to someone who knows more and learning from them. Again, something that we've kind of missed out in this country that just because you got Google means that you know everything and people don't listen to authority no more. In the medical career field, someone goes to a doctor and wants to tell the doctor what they learned on Google instead of let the doctor be the doctor. People do that with lawyers now. They go to the lawyers and say, well, uh, this is what the law said. Well, that's not what happens. They do that with the police. No, uh, it's not right. Well, the police happen to know the law. And it happens all over where we don't like to listen. We don't like to learn. And yet this is one of the greatest ways to learn. By the way, before you could ever become a good leader, you have to start by learning to be a good listener. It is a necessary skill. You have to learn to be a good learner. You have to be able to be teachable before you can become a good leader. Learn how to learn. Learn how to listen. Learn how to be taught. Learn to be teachable. That is something that is a problem today. One of those problems is compacted is that we're in too much of a hurry today. We have lost the art of stopping what we're doing, listening to someone. Normally listening is, yep, yeah, uh-huh, sure, yeah, cool. Not even have face-to-face -face contact. You're in a conversation with someone and ignoring them. We get so distracted. You're listening to someone's conversation and playing solitaire. We've lost sitting, looking at someone in the eyeballs and listening to what they have to say. And we wonder why we've lost our ability to think and to learn. In fact, we have so many treasures of some people who have lived a uh, long time. And let me tell you, Young people, you may not believe it, but older people have experienced more things than you. And if nothing else, you could learn from their mistakes if you would listen. To find someone like a Dr. Flanders, like a Dr. Reese when he was alive, and to learn from these people, just say, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen, will do you a world of good. And to ask natural questions that come up, Questions prove that you're listening. Even as a preacher, if I have people that say they're reading their Bible and I don't get questions, I get worried. Because learning should produce good questions. It should be producing thinking and processing. And when I think and process, there's going to be a question that comes. That's part of the natural process of learning is learning to sit, to listen, and to ask questions. What a wonderful thing we see in the life of Jesus. 12 years old, and that's where he's at. Sitting with doctors, sitting with adults, sitting with professional people who's given their life to study the word of God. And he's sitting, listening, and asking questions. 
as we see the story go on, verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. You know, this meant that it was not a public debate. It was a conversation where they listened to the 12-year-old and go, wow, that's pretty good. That's amazing. Having that conversation of learning to listen. To listen, sit, and ask questions. Verse 48. And when they saw him, Mary and Joseph, they saw him. They were amazed. I meant, imagine you're a 12-year-old. Or imagine you at 12 years old. And you disappear. Where are you going to be found at? Are you going to be found at church listening to the preacher? Is that where you, you know, oh, I know where he's at. He's at church. Well, probably not. Most For the most of us when we were 12, probably not where we were found at. <laughs> they were amazed where they found him at. They found him in the house of God. And his mother said to him, son, now let's pause. She's a mom. And you understand that Mary's a sinner, right? And that sometimes when you get emotional, you don't think, right? Three days of missing her child, do you think that she's a little bit distraught? Maybe just a little bit with some feelings? Probably. Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We've been brokenhearted. We've been searching for you. Why did you do this to us? Now, is it Jesus' fault? No. It's not. But is she blaming him anyways? Yep. Do sometimes parents do that? Yep. So how does he respond to that? Well, as we learn here, notice with me verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Here's a third principle here. Youth must be, should be about the business of the father. Youth should be about the business of the father. What do we mean by this? Youth should make a goal and a priority about their fa heavenly father's business. They should be taught at a young age that teenagers can be used of God. And they must be taught that the most important thing they can have in their life is finding God's will. You know how much would change in someone's life if they're taught at a young age that your goal is to find God's will and do it. Find God's will and do it. Teenagers can be used of God. They can be. And to teach them, find God's will. God has a plan for you. Let's teach you how to find God's will. And learn to be about your father's business. It would do a world of good for teenagers to do that. Jesus said, I'm here about my father's business. Where do you think I was going to be at? Here, teenagers can be taught. They can be in God's will for themselves. We move on to another principle here. Youth should be submitting to their parents. Youth need to be taught to submit to their parents. Now, Mary and Joseph come up. Mary has now accused Jesus. And was Jesus in the wrong? No. His mother was emotionally upset. We have an understanding of that. But was she wrong? Yes. Notice this. Verse 50, and they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. Do you know it is not a requirement for parents to understand their child? Sometimes it's different language. Sometimes it's other things. However, it does not excuse a child from disobeying their parents. Notice the next one. Verse 51, and he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice this, if you don't have this highlighted, underlined, and was subject to them. You know that Jesus submitted to his parents even when his folks were wrong. And when I say parents, I mean Mary and his stepfather, who's now acting as his legal guardian. He submitted to them even when they were wrong. Kids can be taught how to submit to their parents. And they need to be taught to submit to their parents. Even if your parents are wrong. You're to submit to them. You know parents don't have the right to be illegal. They don't have the right to be immoral. They don't have the right to be unbiblical. But they have the right to be stupid. 
And if they come up with a stupid rule or a rule that you don't agree with, submit anyways. Submit anyways. And they have to be taught that. They have to be taught that youth, they need to be taught how to submit to their parents. Now, what is submitting? Submitting is not just simply doing what's asked. For example, the illustration I use over and over, a parent tells their kid to go clean the room. Fine! And they go clean the room. Are they submitted? Not at all. Submission is a matter of the heart. And it's part of capturing their heart. And getting to the idea where they say, you know what? It's not what I want to do, but because it's your will, it is now my will. And I'm going to gladly do it. And I'm going to do it because this is what is given to me to do. That's submission. And it needs to be taught. By the way, it needs to be illustrated in the lives of the parent. Parents, you're shooting yourself in your foot if you decide to rebel against biblical authority in front of your, parent, your kids. Stupid pastor, I can't believe you said to do that. You're killing yourself. Well, stupid police. Stupid president. You're teaching them how to rebel against biblical authority rather than submit. You have to illustrate this with your life. And again, that's hard. But this is necessary because they're, who are they going to learn submission from if they don't learn it from their parents? This is important. Now Jesus submitted and put himself subject even though his parents were wrong. Parents being right is not a requirement. I hear teenagers sometimes as I deal with them and work with them. Well, my mom's wrong, so. But you don't know, so. They give an illustration. I like what ifs. What ifs are usually looking for a reason to rebel. So here's a situation. What if a child is told by their parents they can't come to church? They submit to their parents. What? Yep, they submit to their parents. With the idea that as they're submitting to God, we're expecting God to change the parent's heart to allow the kid to come back. We're doing things through biblical authority. This is how God always works. We can trust God. If it's God's will for someone to go to church, God will help arrange it to get them to go to church. We can trust God. Now, this has to be taught because we in our flesh want to fight. And we want to make it happen. But that's not God's way. Jesus could have gotten his argument in front of the whole crowd. What do you mean, mom? I knew what I was doing. Now, he would have been in sin, but you understand, he could have tried to fight like a normal teenager in public and embarrassed all of them. However, he didn't. Now, this is a principle that we could see in Jesus that needs to be taught to our kids. And taught to respond properly to biblical authority. Now as we continue, there's something else we want to notice if we go with this. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Now remember, Dr. Luke is doing a research project. Years later, he comes to Mary. Don't you think that Mary remembers this incident? I mean, you lost your child for a couple days. You remember that. And you remember where you found him. Do you think that Mary also realized that in emotional response that she was wrong? And do you think that she also remembered how Jesus responded to her even when she was wrong? You bet. That he responded correctly even when she was wrong and she kept these things in her heart. What a great illustration of the perfection of Jesus Christ. But also the principle that we are to teach our children now. Let's go on. Now let's turn to a third thing. The goals found in Jesus' childhood growth. The goals found in Jesus' childhood growth. This now becomes practical. Alright, so we hit the story. We hit the things. Verse 52 gives us a summary conclusion statement. We saw a beginning statement in verse number 30. And the child grew and waxed strong, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then we saw an illustration inside of the life of Jesus Christ when he was 12 years old and how we respond to it and we learn some principles. Now we come to a conclusion statement on this and verse number 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature 
and in favor of God and with man. Notice this Jesus increased. This is the statement here. Then you'll see four things tagged into it. Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus increased in stature. Jesus increased in favor with God. And Jesus increased with favor of man. Here are four different goals here. Four different things that we must work for. That we're trying to help teenagers, youth, grow in all four of these areas. This is the practical part. How do we do it? How do we help them grow in these four areas? Here's the first area. He increased in wisdom. We increased in wisdom. That when we work with youth, we minister to their minds. We minister to the mind. He increased in wisdom. What do we mean by this? Well, first of all, we fill them with the word of God. This is where wisdom is found. Proverbs chapter 8. You could read it for yourself. This is where wisdom is found. That if we want to help them to increase in wisdom. We teach them to get into the Bible for themselves. They must learn to read the Bible for themselves. To want to read it for themselves. This is the way they're going to increase in wisdom. Here's something else. Big right here. Help them to develop how to think and make decisions. Those are two different things. What is the ability to think? Let's define our terms. It's the ability to process information. You know there's a lot of people who can't process information. You can give them something and they look and blah, blah, blah. They don't know how to react when information is given to them. Uh, our education system seems to be pretty good at repeat after me. When I taught classes, again, forgive the personal illustrations, I taught pre-calculus. And all my pre-calculus students at the very beginning of the year, I took time and said, why am I teaching you this? Is this because you're going to have to learn how to use the circumference of the earth in an everyday thing? Of course not. Why take pre-calculus? Why take algebra one? Why take algebra two? What are we doing with those classes? We're teaching students how to think, how to process information. The, most of the education system, especially elementary, is repeat after me. All right, here is our term for today, Magna Carta. Magna Carta. This is what a Magna Carta is. Can you repeat it now? Now let's take a test. Can you repeat it? They're repeating information. They're parrots. They're not learning or processing information. They're learning how to repeat. The idea of the ability to think is what do I do with the information given to me? When I'm giving a problem, can I think how to solve it using the tools that are available to me? All of us know people that if something breaks, they look at it and say, I don't know what to do with it. It could be the easiest fix in the world, but they look at it and they cannot process information. They cannot think. Parents, it is our responsibility to teach them how to think. This is part of growing up in wisdom. All right, the second part of that, we're supposed to help them how to think and to make decisions. There is one thing of modern American growing upness, whatever it is, that is lost the ability to make decisions. They cannot think. M&M's or Skittles. Nestle Crunch or Snickers. I can't decide. They look and say, I know my life's depending on it, but I don't know what to do. And you know what happens? That either they're going to make a decision or someone is going to make a decision for them. And that's what usually happens. That when it comes to default time, someone is going to make the decision for them. And by the way, it is much easier to let people make the decision for you. But it's the wrong way. People must learn to decide for themselves. And parents, we must teach them how to make a decision. That includes, listen, having consequences for actions. If there's no consequences, there's no learning. We have to allow them to go wrong. If you could forgive, again, personal illustrations. I'm trying to make this practical. And so some personal illustrations. When we were young, <laughs> and I was in Bible college, we had baby Serena. And I love books. If you haven't known that about me, let me tell you, I love books. And so we had baby Serena, who's beginning to crawl in diapers and play and laugh. And I had bookshelves. 
And you said, oh, did you put bookshelves in the high shelf? Nope, we had them all the way to the bottom. <gasps> and she didn't tear them down and eat? Nope. You know why? Because I had a wife who would watch. It was not illegal for her to pull down a, or to touch the bookshelf. Nothing wrong with it. But she was not allowed to pull out books. That's when she would get, there was something wrong. No, no, no. And my books didn't get ruined when I had three babies walking around the house. Why? Because they were taught there was a consequence. Well, then I don't want that consequence, so I'm not going to do that. That's simple. Well, consequences get worse and worse as they go up. And as we watch Americans raise their kids, kids are raised with no consequences at all. I work with police all the time. I cannot tell you how many times I hear a police officer pretty much say, be the parent, be the parent, be the parent. Then me as myself as a pastor, I find the same thing. Be the parent, be the parent. What does that mean? You teach them that there's consequences for action. Teach them how to make decisions. Teach them to decide for themselves. Teach them this is part of them growing up in wisdom to learn how to think and to learn to make decisions. Part of learning how to think is to broaden their world view. You don't shelter kids, but you do expose them and teach them about things. For example, when we were young, we'd have our kids. We didn't say, oh, there's a person drinking. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. What we do is we'd say, you see that? He thinks it's solving his problems. Does it look like it's solving his problems as he's throwing up in the ditch? No, not at all. And so... We're, we expose them. Now, that's something minor, but something else. Teach them to read. Teach them how to search things out for themselves. Teach them knowledge. Teach them things. Um, my kids and I had a conversation today, and forgive me, I'm not against homeschooling, and I'm not against homeschoolers. However, there is something that we've witnessed inside of homeschoolers, is that there's a lot of kids who don't have a worldview, and one day they're going to have reality hit them, and that's going to be it. They're not going to know what to do. They're so sheltered, they cannot interact in a normal world. They don't know how to talk to adults. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to carry on conversations. Now, again, I'm not against homeschoolers. And I have a lot of good friends who homeschool. And I'm thankful that they do. And I respect their choice for it. However, there is this idea that they have no worldview. And that it's their little Baptist little thing. And that if somebody does something different, it must be immediately wrong. Just because something is different doesn't make it wrong. If we can learn that principle, we get along with people a lot better. People can be different. And it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them different. Well, teaching them. There's other cultures. There's other ways of doing it. This is how they do it over there. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Just not how we do it. What's wrong with that? We need to teach them and broaden their worldview. Expose them to other things. Let them learn. <laughs> now, of course, there are things that we don't want them exposed to. I understand that. I'm not saying open it up. But you understand what I mean, that there's a brand new world out there. Teach them about learning. Teach them about, now back in my day we had encyclopedias. That was one of the greatest things my parents ever bought. They never used it once. Man, I outlined those things. Now, I know I'm a nerd, but you know there's so much things to learn out there. To teach them learning, teach them to broaden your scope, teach them that there's a whole world out there. Even today, we meet people, we live in Seymour, which is about 20, 30 minutes away from some parts in Green Bay. There are some people that we've met who have never left Green Bay. Never left Green Bay. Not one. They, they haven't gone to Appleton. Can you imagine such a thing? There are such people out there. Do you think that they have a broad worldview? Not at all. And there are people that raise their kids that way. That, listen, you only do this or else. There's a lot of things to learn out there. A lot of things to appreciate. Let me tell you, you can enjoy American food, which is fried chicken and pizza. But what's wrong with exposing them to Chinese food? Now, you understand I'm using that as an illustration. There's a lot of things to enjoy out there. 
learn to, by the way, this is all teaching him in wisdom. What do I do when I come to something different? Do I attack it like everybody else? Or do I learn to research it, find out about it, learn about it, process it? And then use wisdom to determine whether it's bad or good. Using the idea of the Bible. Instead of immediately just attacking just because it's different. Notice as we go on. Again, I know it's making it practical, but I'm trying to be a help. We're trying to be practical here. That first of all, Jesus increased in wisdom. And that talks about ministering to the mind. That we're working with their mind and teaching them how to think. How to make decisions. Broadening their worldview. Teaching them to read. Teaching them to think. Giving them the word of God so they have a basis to determine what's right and wrong as they evaluate the world. He also increased, Jesus increased in stature. This carries the idea that as we're dealing with youth, we have to minister to their physical needs. Believe it or not, teenagers have physical needs. Now, I'm not, I wasn't snarky. But so many times, their physical needs are ignored and pushed aside because they don't want to be dealt with. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, we have to teach them at an early age that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Their body is not their own. God owns them. And that if God owns our body, we need to find out and be good stewards of what God owns and take care of it properly. Not, teach them not to abuse their body. Teach them not to put things in it that shouldn't be into it. Now, we understand that today, there's a lot that goes along with the body. That a common thing that's with teens today, or it's a little bit more open exposed to such things, is like cutting. You understand the idea of putting something in there. And whereas they may not understand all the physiological and mental things that go along with it, that they come to the idea of cutting... And their flesh has a reaction. Their body has a reaction. Their body feels something. And part of a spiritual idea is that your body craves attention. And you're giving it attention. It may not be positive attention, but you're giving it attention. And it can get to the place where even think such thing as cutting could be addictive. Because your body continues to want to have attention. It's, could, it's an outlet for a lot of kids to try to deal with pressures and things that they have in their life. But we understand they, if we are taught that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that this is God's property and that we need to be wise about what God's done into this. This even uh, teaches them about the idea of tattoos and other things. You say you're meddling preacher. No I'm trying to be a help because there's things that need to be taught that often are ignored. And then kids don't know any better. I, I deal with people all the time who will come up. Just happened two nights ago. Someone came up. Hey, preacher. They don't go to here, this church. Look at this. I did this for my mom. She loved these Bible verses. So I got a whole tattoo of all these Bible verses for my mom. Great. Wonderful. You know, not the idea to correct them. That... <laughs> Not my child, not part of here, but you understand there's something in there that needs to be taught about that your body is given to God and that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of his property. Now that's a whole different thing. We could just take a whole message and study. I'm trying to give practical ideas. What about this? Teach them what to do with their body. There are things that you should do with your body and things that you shouldn't do with your body. We understand that goes into a whole area. And notice this, how to use their energy. All right? Practical Sunday night, mature crowd. Teenagers start having hormones. And usually what people do is they try to ignore them or just say, just, you know, deal with it. But you understand you have to teach them what to do with that energy. They have creative energy that's what those hormones are. They're a creative force. They have to be taught how to use that creative energy for some creative purpose. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to get too deep psychological, but there is something there to it. We need to teach them what to do with that energy because they have that energy. And they need to do something with it and sit down and be still and ignore it is not an answer. There is something they need to be taught with it and taught that there are proper outlets for their body and for this energy that they don't know what to do with. Hormones and all this stuff are real. Body chemistry is real. That there's a force inside of them that 
wants to do something. And if they're not taught to do with something, they will turn to other things that are harmful. Pornography or fornication or other things. We need to teach them what to do with that instead of just ignore it. Does that make sense? There are things that they need to be taught with. They need to have time to vent their energy. I, I don't know how some people think of me because they know I'm a nerd. They almost, I, who knows, may have a misconception that what I do is I lock my kids in desk and their job is to study all the time and they can't move and stuff. My kids are here. Do I make you guys do that? No. There is time they vent their energy. They need to vent their energy. They're full of it. They need to burn it off something how. And they need to be taught there's proper outlets for it. That they need to be do something with that energy. <laughs> there's something to it. We need to learn, teach them how to learn how to have a good time and not regret it in the morning. Amen. There are proper outlets. Amen. By the way, that's beyond drugs and alcohol, which are awful. But there are proper things that you should do with your body too, not abuse it. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the... <laughs> <laughs> bad example on that because I abused my body quite a bit. Wrestling, rodeoing, stunts, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I got all kinds of stories my kids still haven't heard yet. You understand? Um, there's probably some things that, that are proper outlets for your body where you don't regret it in the morning or when you're old like me and say, you know, you know, I try to tell my kids, you remember your parents telling you, sit up, you're going to have back problems. And you're like, and slouched anyway. I wish I believed my parents. You, you know, there was warning. Sometimes your parents are right. We need to teach them that there's ways to have a good time where they won't regret it in the morning. There are proper ways of things. Give them the opportunity to channel their energy and use it for the Lord. We need to harness that energy. That energy is there. Let's use it properly. But this is part of taking care of their physical needs. So he increased in wisdom. He increased in stature. Now as it goes on in verse number 52, Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus increased in stature. He also increased in favor with God. We have to minister to their spiritual needs. Their spiritual needs. Now notice this, that God always puts things in a divine order. Favor with God comes before favor with men. We have to teach them about their relationship with God. That first of all, they need to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? To come to the place where they realize that they're a sinner. And because of their sin that they've offended a holy, righteous God. And that, <coughs> that Jesus died for them and paid their price for them. And that they must personally accept Jesus as their Savior. We need to teach them to have that be right with God. Starting with salvation. Then we need to teach them how to obey the Lord. That once a teenager or a young child has accepted Christ as their Savior, they come to the place of understanding. We need to teach them how to obey such things as believer's baptism. That's their first step where they choose to obey God. We need to teach them to get in that habit of obeying God. We need to get them involved in a local church. That there are plenty of things they can do. One of the things I love, I absolutely love, is on Saturdays when the young people are out knocking doors with us. And passing out flyers. My kids were saying, we can't wait. We're going to do it on our own. Great. Wonderful. That's what we desire. That we need to get them involved with God. Let them know that they could be used of God. That God has given them talents. God's given them things to do. And they could do it. We need to teach them how to walk with God every day. That they can have their own walk with God. That they don't have to depend on mom's walk with God or dad's walk with God. They can talk to God for themselves. They can see their own answers to prayer. They can speak to God. And then we also have to get young people right with their parents. <laughs> It is very easy for a teenager to get wrong with their parents. They need to get right with their parents. Even if their parents are wrong, they need to get right with them. There may be some things they need to forgive them over. There may be some things that they need to work out. But young people need to get right with their parents. They need to get right with their parents. Kids, it's alright to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. What can I do to make this right? That's good. We need to make sure that they have a right relationship with their parents. Even if their parents are lost. Even if their parents aren't right. We still need to help the kids, the teenagers to be right with God. That needs to be something that needs to be taught. We need to give them, <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, help them to live a holy life and desire holiness. Now I know that teenagers and holiness usually don't work together. You just look at their room and know that they don't believe in holiness. It's all right, laugh. But inside of their life, teenagers can desire to be right with God. They can desire holy living. By the way, if teenagers are desiring holy living, it will keep them away from evil living. But teach them that they can make their own decisions for themselves of choosing to follow after God. Now, we need to teach them that there's a difference between conforming and transforming. That it is very easy for kids to be just like their classmates. That's default. If some classmate likes some stupid, uh, I used to almost said MTV, but YouTube or whatever thing, doesn't mean that you have to like the goofball either. But they follow trends, they follow things. We need to teach them that their job is to be transformed in their mind following after God and not just following what everybody else says. We need to teach them to be witness to the lost. Teenagers can witness to the lost. They can tell others about the Lord. They could tell their friends. They could tell adults. They could be involved in witnessing. And we need to continue to direct them to find God's will for their life and help them where they desire that. I want God's will in my life. What do you believe God has for you to grow up? I want whatever God desires for me. Great. Wonderful. We need to teach them that. With it and like everyone else, we need to find out where they are and help them take the next step. Find out where they are and help them take the next step. If they're lost, help them to go salvation. If they're saved and not baptized, help them to get baptized. If they're just kind of lounging around, help them to take stored, uh, steps to go forward with God. If they're walking with God, help them to take steps to go even further with God. We find out where they are and help them to move forward. And then we see this. Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus increased in stature. Jesus increased in favor with God. And Jesus increased with favor with men. We need to minister to their social needs. To their social needs. We need to teach them how to develop friendships and how to be a friend. I work with teenagers from time to time. It is amazing how teenagers do not know how to be friends. They don't know how to carry a conversation with someone else. They can't talk to someone else. And I don't know what it means. What does it mean to be a friend? If we're going to be of a friend, it has a couple of ingredients. You have to spend time with them and you have to be able to trust them. Oh, to have a teenager that is trustworthy, that's worth its weight in gold. But to have teenagers to be able to trust each other, to learn to have a true, genuine friendship, not a friendship where I'm going to go get you in trouble. We all have those friends in our life for those of us who grew up in a less than Christian environment. Hey, y'all, let's do this. Okay. We need to teach them that to look for good friends. What is in a good friend? What's in a good influence? What should you do to look for them? And then with this, we need to, we need to let them know that they are loved. And by the way, parents, we need to teach them that we love them. By the way, we know that different people respond differently to love. They understand love different. There's a thing about love languages and you should know that. There are some people that feel loved when you just give them appreciation. You did a good job. They feel loved for that. There are some people who just need that physical presence. My wife's one of those. She feels loved when I'm doing something with her. Even if it's driving somewhere. As long as she's with me, she feels loved. There are some people that feel loved if you buy something for them. There are some, you know, there's different ways that people feel loved. Learn what your teenager does. If you're a parent, if you're a youth leader, if you're working with me, learn how they love. Not all teenagers are the same. One of the most amazing things is that I have three kids and all three of them are different. Amen. They're all different. I'd almost think, you know, that they'd be carbon copies of something that would come out. They're all different. They all have different personalities, different likes, different mannerisms, different ways of speaking, different ways of thinking. And because they have different ways of thinking, I have to learn what they respond to. People say, well, you got to treat all kids uh, the same. No, they're all different. They respond differently. 
one way that I show affection to one, the other one may not recognize it as love. And if I continue with that, they say, well, you don't love me. Well, I love you just as much as the other ones. They just don't recognize it. We have to work on it and learn them and learn how to show them that affection so that they know that they're loved. Kids want to be accepted. Without a doubt, they want to be accepted. They need to be taught that they are accepted and loved. So we need to learn how to express a love. And then with that, when we're ministering to their social needs, we need to teach them what to look for in a life's mate. That's something important. What do we look for in a life's mate? Now, by the way, if you have qualifications for a spouse, if they're the spouse that they ought to be, they also have qualifications. Do you meet those qualifications? You need to be the type of person that is marryable. We need to teach them that. In fact, uh, Brother Sommerdorf taught me a, something when his kids were young. He's, he said at a meeting, hey, our family's talked about some of you. People look and I'm crazy. He says, yeah, we play something that will say, hey, what about that young man over there? Will he make a good husband? Yes or no? And why? And they would talk about it. Why was he doing that? Because he was trying to get them to get in a conversation with him so they would learn to trust dad's input in a life's mate. I tell my daughters especially, I will never be in love with whoever you decide to like. I'll never be twiddle-pated. I'll never be fooled. I'll see things that you are blinded to. If you learn to trust me, I can help you out. That guy's a creep. Get away from him. Amen. By the way, I'm not doing it because I'm a mean dad. I'm doing it because I love them and I want them to have the right person and they need to learn how to trust me. But that should be something that we're developing in. We're teaching them what they're supposed to look like in a white life's mate. Not, is she pretty or just, you know, how richish is he or whatever it is. There's something more than that. What about their mannerisms? What about the walk with God? Their relationship with their parents? Those are things that we need to teach them to look forward in the life's mate so that way they can marry correctly. Now there's a lot into it. And we could just take this and turn this into a whole series, by the way. This is just something as we're looking at the life of Christ and watching him as a teenager growing that there are some principles that we could see that is mentioned here. By the way, do you think God just happenstance put verse 40 and verse 52 there? He put it there for our learning. He's giving a summary statement. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. That was there on purpose. For our learning. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and in men. God put it there for our learning. So we could learn something. So we could apply it. These are things that God wanted us to take the time to study out. And to apply in our lives. Dealing with the child grew. Principles of raising kids to serve the Lord. Now again. This is more practical. And some of you are at the place where you say, well, I don't have kids. Well, you got grandkids. Well, we have kids in the church here where there are things that we want to do. We want to have a thriving youth ministry as God allows us to. There are things that we need to start looking at. Maybe some, <laughs> I, I love the idea that inside of a youth ministry or Sunday school classes to have older folks adopt a class. All right, you're my class. And they become the grandparents of the class and give them cookies and remember their birthdays and give them a card. Why? There are some kids that don't have grandparents that love them. And that's a way for older folks to say, I can't teach the Bible, but I can still invest in the kids. Wonderful, great. You could be an example to them that they never forget. And it may be that as they grow older, they say, you know what? I remember that one person, they were my grandparents. I need to go ask advice of someone and I may not be able to ask my parents. I'm going to go to them. Isn't that a good thing to develop those relationships? We understand that these are things that we all need to be concerned of. Maybe if you're young, you say, I don't care about this. Well, guess what? You may have kids one day. You'll care about it eventually. We may have grandkids. We have... So this is something that we could at least tuck away. What can we do it now? What can we do better? What kind of things can we look for? What kind of things can God start working on us to have developed and prepared so that way we are ready to be a help. Or maybe it's the idea of the process to think or to be seated, listening, and asking questions. Are you a good listener? Are you able to have a good conversation with someone? 
These are things that need to be developed. Again, shotgun, lots of things going on there. I hope that you grab something that could be a help to you wherever you're at. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920. 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.